within it. I, I've been incredibly fortunate, Luke. I've had, I reckon I've had three really amazing, unique jobs or, or chapters. Um, you know, four years Bankshire Hill, 13 to 18 year old, mainly boys, uh, young men, uh, 60% Indigenous boys. That was an incredible experience, which I'll, I'll touch on. Obviously, playing and coaching, you know, through the whole professional ex sport experience, you know, it's 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 surreal. Um, it's heightened. It's different, um, but it was incredible. Uh, and then being a leader of a foundation, now we're working with thousands of kids in Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. Um, All right, hello everybody. Thanks for joining us for episode 14. AFL career with stops at West Coast during the 90s powerhouse era. Sydney and Fremantle receiving runner-up in the best and fairest and vice-captain in his return to the West. Senior AFL assistant and senior coach before moving into the world of creating impact on the lives of many in different ways. A remarkable human, a very humble man, Scott Waters is here to tell us all about his journey as a life changer. So with that, let's get to the show. Hello, Scott. Hello, Sean. Sean, how's life? It has been a little while. Uh, it has been a while. Yeah, I had baby number two. So hands have literally been full. Uh, so, you know, but you... you both know what that's about so you know but it's uh, just you know getting our footing and uh, getting getting back out there in the world so yeah no it's been amazing it's been amazing man but uh scott i want to i want to go to you here you've got you know quite a past and and quite a present you know the foundation that you founded is doing some pretty remarkable things and uh you know we want to hear the whole story so you know it's great to have you on the show and how's your life at the moment uh, you know i know you're a busy man anything new you're juggling um, life's always good. Thanks, guys, for uh, inviting me in to have a chat. Looking forward to it. And thanks for the introduction, Luke. I'm not sure I can live up to the remarkable human. I think we're all remarkable, so I'll, I'll get out of that one by saying that. <laughs> um, no, look, lot, lots going on. I've, um, you know, my, my family and I moved from Melbourne to northern New South Wales about 12 months ago. So um, the energy and excitement and challenges that come with um, you know, moving three teenage boys, um, that always brings a lot of great stuff. So um, life's, life's good. Life's always good, but um, I'm certainly enjoying where we're at. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love to ask, I'd love to ask before we get into everything else, three teenage boys, what is different than what you thought was going to happen when all of a sudden you had three baby boys or younger boys? What, what's the difference now that they're teenagers? Oh, wow. Um, parenting certainly isn't a perfect science. That's the first thing. Um, you know, obviously through the foundation, we're working with, you know, young people in Australia and New Zealand. So we're, we're, we're so-called experts in working with young people. However, I always preface any of my conversations before talking, you know, talking to parents or talking about young people that, you know, I fail daily uh, as a father. You never... You, you, it's impossible to get it perfectly right. So um, always challenging, incredibly rewarding, um, hard to imagine life without 
you know, those boys in, in mine and my wife's life. But um, it's hard, you know, it's tough. Um, there's ups and downs daily and from one week to the next and, you know, kids flying and going well and a month later they're having challenges at school. So it's all that stuff. So to anyone that's a parent or thinking about it, it's tough, let's be honest, but it's brilliant as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for that. Sorry to to jump in there. Sean, sorry, mate. I jumped in over the top of you there. Far away. No, no, no. That's uh the, the, that's that's good information. And I, I have to agree with you. I mean, how far are we into our existence as humans and we don't have, you know, an agreed upon parental handbook, right? So it's uh <laughs> it's 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 a wild ride. You just you, you give it your all, you give it your best, and that's what you can do, right? Um Scott, if you don't mind, just kind of want to go to the early days of, of playing sport. Um, you know, always fascinated by people that, that reach the pinnacle uh, with, with athletic feats because it's not just the physical, right? The mental uh, that, that, that comes with it. And I'm just kind of curious, when did you realize that, that, you know, playing professional sports was very realistic for you? And, you know, was it a choice that you had to make? Or, you know, how did that, how did that go, right? How did that kind of, you know, transformation into, wow, I think I'm going to be a professional go mentally? Yeah, there were definitely pivotal um, signpost moments for me very early. Um, so I think I started playing Australian rules footy at seven. So, and at that stage, you're just working out how to put your shoes on ultimately. Um, and then I think I got a kick. I think it was in, when I was about eight years of age, I had, just a quarter of a game of football where oh, I just seemed to get the ball a few times. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I actually really like this. Um, but it was, there was a very specific moment for me, about 11 years of age. I know exactly where I was. I was at a, I grew up in Hamilton Hill, which is a suburb sort of in south of Fremantle in Western Australia. And I was having a, I was having a kick with a mate of mine well, I haven't seen in decades, actually, but his name was Eric Peterson and we went to primary school together. Um, and I floated the idea and it was more just me just um, just verbalising the very first stage of a dream, I guess. Or a, um, And I actually said to Eric, who was dry as dry could be, he had a brilliant sense of humour, um, and I just said, Eric, you know, at some point, I actually think I wouldn't mind playing football for South Fremantle. Like South Fremantle was big, you know, mm. 20,000 people turning up on the weekend and that was your – there was no aspiration to go to the VFL. The Waffle was mm. a destination in its own right. And he just turned – and I threw it out there pretty much certain he was just going to turn around and say, mate, you're kidding yourself, um, wake up. And uh, he actually turned straight to me and he said, you know, he said, yeah, I, I think you'll do that. Um, and that shocked me because it was like the first time outside of just a fledgling thought, my own thought, someone else validated it. Um, and that was when I actually thought, well, you know what, if Eric Peterson actually believes it, um, maybe I'm not crazy and maybe that's something I'm going to pursue. And I really, that was the very first moment, I think, where it, it crystallised the idea for me. Um, and then every day really was the thing I loved about sport and pursuing that passion was the creative play aspect of mastering your craft. So it wasn't an effort. I wasn't training. I was, I was playing. So, you know, seven, eight hours a day, one football, two footballs and some green grass was all I needed to fill my day in. So that was a, you know, there was not a day where I, it didn't feel complete if I did not in some way touch the ball during the day it was just 
great experience. Gotcha. You made mention there about working on your craft and, you know, if you listen to a lot of you know, experts within the field now and you're within within that space as well, they talk about, you know, getting incrementally better and focusing on that moment every single day, not getting caught so much on that very end result, but being focused on the here and the now. So is that is that what was really happening for you reflecting back you know, where did ambition and drive cross over with this ability just to stay really present with what you're focused on versus getting caught up in, you know, trying to maybe play with the in the waffle, which was a big thing for you? Yeah, I, I guess the, it's, a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, all levels of development or skill acquisition um, and even life, I think it's it's a philosophy for me that is a life philosophy. It's not just a sport philosophy. Um, I think we get generally way too uh, wrapped up in endpoints. You know, we've created a construct of success or failure or a destination. Um, I don't really buy into that. Um, you know, I just think they're, they're words that we've used to define, you know, uh, unnecessarily whether we're, you know, good or bad or winning or failing. Um, so to me, the journey is what it's always about. Um, so whether that's been the sport process, which it was for me, it was the love of doing what I was doing, um, you know, and trying to, you know, in a football sense, um, you know, the, the football is a, it's an odd shaped ball. So trying to actually master how that was going to move and innately know what it was going to do and how it felt in your hands. And if I, if I kicked it slightly this way, well, what does that do to the trajectory of the ball? You know, that's all, um, that's the art mm. of sport. That's not the mechanics and the destination and the ambition. That's the love and the passion. So for me, it was a passion first before, you know, and then you, you start to paint a picture. Well, if I, if I love this art so much, where can I take it? Um, and then you start to think about, well, I want to apply my trade or apply my craft. Um, I want to see how good I can be, you know. So that leads you to the, aspiring to play at the South Fremantle Football Club um, and then it leads you to wanting to represent your state uh, and then it leads you to, um, you know, playing in the AFL, et cetera. So, but none of that occurs if you don't embed yourself in the process. Um, one, it just doesn't happen. Did, did your... Did your you go ahead, Luke. Yeah, did, did your health... Did your health routine impact your your mental health as well even at that early age like just that focusing on your body and pushing yourself through and these boundaries and trying to get better and better how did that strengthen your your mind in those very very formative kind of years yeah i think there's a um look anyone that is involved in sport you, you can't be involved in sport without having a you know your body is your tool right, no matter what your sport is. So you become, um, it's a necessary vehicle uh, that, you know, you've got to master it. You've got to try and get the best out of yourself mentally and physically. So, and for me, that was a real challenge. Um, I had a lot of injuries uh, throughout my career, literally the whole way through. So I think whilst I ended up playing over 100 games of AFL footy, I easily missed probably the same amount through injury. Um, which made it very challenging because there were times where you felt like your body was failing you. Um, so that was that was probably the toughest part of, I guess, my my journey. 
But that's also the part that, again, most of the challenges that always get thrown our way, there's a silver lining. So, um, you know, understanding and learning to build character and resilience through those sort of moments where it is really challenging. Um, that's also, they're the great things that I remember. And you do take those things through with you to a lot of different parts of your life. Um, so health is innately part of it. Good and bad too, because you become so focused on your physical preparation. There's a selfishness that comes with any athlete, I think. Um, so, yeah, you can become too introspective uh, and, and so focused on yourself. That can also um, bring a pressure and an unhealthiness that you've got to be very careful to manage. Sean, sorry. So, like not, so not having it verge into obsession is kind of, you know, the, the, how, how do you keep it healthy? Is that, is that what that last bit was? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think there's a reality to anyone that wants to perform that there are things that are in your control and there are things that are outside your control. So this, um, luck, luck plays a part. Um, you know, you still have a responsibility to, you know, prepare to the nth degree and, you know, tick all the boxes that are within your control. Um, but you run out in the start of a game and, you know, your knee collapses because an opposition player has come across an angle just at that specific moment and you've got a knee reconstruction, bang, and there's 12 months gone. There, there's a bit of luck and an element to that. So I think, and this is, again, I think a great, thing that we've all had to contemplate through COVID is life is great, but life isn't always fair. Um, so knowing that, yeah, there's going to be a challenge that you is not, it's not your fault, um, but you've still got to learn to accept and get perspective on that and deal with it. So I think that's a great lesson that sport, sport dishes that up to you pretty much daily or weekly because um, there's no linear path. There's an outside view that, when you're a sports person, it's just, it's so easy and it's, um, it's fun and it's amazing. It's, and it is, it's all of that. Um, but it's incredibly relentless, um, forever challenging, and it's constant. Um, there's no linear pathway to success in sport. In fact, you've got to fail many, many times to actually have a decent career. Uh, and that's a great analogy for what life, I think, needs to also look like. You want to stretch yourself anywhere. Um, you're generally putting yourself in challenging environments. And if you're in the right challenging environment, um, you're going to fail a lot. Um, and that's important. And it's not something that we should look at in a negative way. Yeah, it's funny. There's been a lot of talk about that, but I think there's still a lot more understanding on that subject that needs to get out there. And I mean, that, looking at all the videos on your on your website, your foundation is, is doing its part to try to do that. So, you know, I commend you on that. But before... We get all the way to, to the foundation because uh, I could spend another hour and a half just talking to you about that alone. Um, but I'm going to admit first that I don't know too much about the AFL. Uh, when I was there, um, you know, we weren't really thinking about, you know, uh, Aussie rules football. I was there as a kid, really, like, you know, 19 years old, having a laugh. But I do understand sports. I played a lot of it, played a decent amount of rugby myself, uh, you know, played hockey at the provincial level here in Canada. So, you know, competed, uh, played with some guys that, that, that played professionally and, uh, it, it demands a lot on a person. Like when you were describing the, the, the little the injuries and everything that you had to go through, I was getting some eerie reminiscence of reading Kobe Bryant's autobiography, right? Like at any level, you have to go through these things if you want to have a successful career. But, 
now what you're doing now, what's the major crossover factor from your life in sport that is helping you be successful in what you are doing with your life now? Yeah, uh, and that's one of the great things about um, any any intense, challenging environment, I think, gives you a lot of translations uh, or translationary skills that can, you can take into a lot of areas. So that's why I'm very thankful for the journey, the ups and the downs, um, abs- and absolutely the downs. I know it's an easy thing to say, um, but you you often get more from the downs that, that you take with you. Um, so if I look at the real challenging moments through a sporting career for me, where I draw inspiration or confidence or self-belief from is not so much the moments where, you know, everything's perfect and you're flying and you're dominating or whatever it might be or you're winning. It's actually from the other areas. So um, there are a few things for me. Um, I think no matter what you do, you've got to do the work. Um, you know, there's, there's an energy and a drive uh, and a commitment to being good at anything. You know, it just, it just doesn't drop. You know, it just doesn't turn up at your door. Um, you've got to bring an energy to it, you know, whether that's the role that you're in right now at work, whether that's being a parent, um, whether that's being an AFL player. You've got, to, you've got to bring that intangible quality of, you know what, I'm going after this with everything that I've got. Um, when I'm tired, when I'm fatigued, when I'm injured, uh, when I'm not selected, um, you've got to still believe in yourself enough to bring the drive. So you've got to do the work. Um, I think that the other thing that really resonates strongly with me is, you know, we talk, there's a lot of talk now about resilience. Um, And in order to be resilient or to build resilience, you actually have to fail. Um, So to me, I think one of the, and we see this a lot with young kids, um, see it a lot in athletes who maybe don't reach their potential is there's a fear of failure or a fear of going into a, an environment where you're not quite sure whether you're going to be 100% successful or not. Um, the people that I admire aren't necessarily the ones that have the glittering career or you know the billion-dollar entrepreneur. Yeah, I admire the ones that just get in the ring um, and go on the journey because there's no guarantees on where that's going to end up. Um, we're never as responsible as responsible for our successes or our failures as we think, mm. um, you know, where where there's a lot of things that come to play. So accepting failure is really important, and failure is a it's a pretty ordinary word, but um, you know, accepting that you're gonna you're gonna stumble, you know, and that's good because you'll learn a lot, and that's that'll help you grow. Um, and the other thing for me, just around the big lesson, is you don't succeed. You know, in, in isolation, there aren't too many, uh, you know, when you get to those moments where you've had a level of a success, generally it's because of the people that are around you, the support, the team, you know, your, your, your wife. Um, most successes, I think, come from a, it's not just you. And I think when, you, when you're young, often you think many of your successes are independently driven. This is my talent my ability and but I, I reckon there's always a lot more as you get older i think you start to appreciate that more and more that you know i, I need good people around me um you know because i'm not perfect you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of ego when you're younger <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there's one thing i got to say and then luke i'm handing it to you but uh i love that 
but it's like there's a saying that uh you know behind every great athlete there's a tired parent you know when you when you talk yeah, about absolutely. like tribe and like all the people that were required in your journey uh, it, it really is important tribe is one of your six anyways i'm gonna i'm gonna wait for the, yeah. the the foundation we're gonna have some fun there but luke I know you're patiently waiting to throw in a question here. Yeah, you, you're talking about acceptance in the moment, success, good, bad, um, you know, failure, stretching yourself in tough environments. And, you know, you played in that West Coast, you know, 91 grand final side and, and weren't part of, unfortunately, um, you know, due to injury, the 92 premiership. You know, when you reflect back on those challenging times and being in the environment where the ultimate success came about, and then the good times and then the challenging times with, with coaching. And I know that there's so much in that and so many memories and emotions and thoughts, but how do those things continue to possibly shape your you know, values and beliefs now about the work that you do? Yeah, they're, they're, look, they're similar things but two very different things, playing and, and coaching. Mm. Um, I think the lessons from from playing are probably some of the things that I've touched on around, you know, playing is, a, is, is more of a selfish pursuit. You're within a team, but you have a responsibility to prepare yourself to be a part of that team and play your role. But it's still more of an individually driven piece. Um, and to be a good player, to me, it is that capacity to get up again and get up again. Um, you know, when you're, when you're told or if you're told at 15 that you're not good enough, but you find a way, you know, I was privileged to coach the Collingwood team of defenders who won the premiership in 2010. And amongst that group, most of them were rookie listed players. So what that actually says is that they were not accepted into any elite programs. They weren't, they weren't classified as being good enough. Um, but, you know, Heath Shaw, Heritier O'Brien, Nick Maxwell, um, amazing players. But at some point, all of them were actually given clear signals from the industry that they were a part of that you know you're not in the best group mm. um so the grit and the resilience to continually get up and that's a hard thing to do when you've got voices in, external voices actually going no there's so many in front of you why are you even bothering so that that takes something really special um so i think that's what being a player teaches you um you've almost got to ignore the experts um, the so-called experts, because there's only one voice that really matters, and that's your own internal, your own internal dialogue is really what's going to shape your pathway going forward. From a coaching perspective, um, I think the main thing that you always take away from that is that, um, you know, as a player, you think you're totally responsible for every great thing that ever happens. Um, as a coach, you realise. Um, I can remember saying to a, a premiership team that I got to coach in Western Australia that as I was coach, I said, guys, actually being a coach is overrated. Um, I'm actually not that important. Um, and there are so many other things that contribute to this group being successful. I'm just part of that, um, but I'm certainly not the, primal, you know, the prime reason. So as a coach, you get to understand how important every single component is, you know, not just players, it's administration, it's everything that occurs to bring those moments together so players can actually capitalise on those really rare moments. Um, mm. So coaching probably teaches you uh, humility um, in some ways because 
on the outside, you look, you looked at as all powerful as the coach and you know the head of and the spokesperson. But the reality is, you um, you realise that you don't control the result anywhere as much, anywhere near what the media might want you to to, um, to want it to look like. It's a very different experience. Mm. The, um, are you following much of the stuff that's happening with Ben Simmons over in the states at the moment? Yeah. How? You know, it's it's you're not in that inner circle. You're not part of what's happening, and uh, none of us are. Like we're watching from the outside of this guy that was, you know, kind of thrown under the bus by a teammate and coach to some degree. Uh, but ultimately, he you could say he failed in that moment. You could possibly say that, and then he's walked away from the team and demand to be a trade and all of this other stuff that's going on. If you're in that environment, how do you try to navigate? You, know, you mentioned before around egos and you know the the money, the wealth, trying to bring everybody together as a team because they were like the number one team in the NBA last year, so they're an incredible team. But at the moment, it's being held together by you know sticky tape at best. How do you try and manage that? How do you try to bring that group maybe back together? Yeah, it's a it's a really tough one. Um, there have been mistakes made on both sides, I think. Um, you, you win together and you lose together. You know, that's ultimately what a, a great culture and a great team does. And you know, there was messaging on all levels, you know, at his, at his poor performance, you know, through, through the final, um, that whether he had a poor performance or not, you know, people can judge that. That's fine. Um, but the messaging that came out around that, um, great teams, they, they don't, you don't, there are no scapegoats. Internally, you review as hard as you like. Um, but if you can't have a safe, trusting environment with your players, and obviously Ben wasn't feeling that, um, you know, that's a fractured relationship right there. And that's a coach's responsibility. That's a senior player's responsibility. Um, and I thought that was all handled really emotionally and really poorly at that point. Um, ben, Ben's got a, you know, look, I don't, I don't know Ben, um, but it's a really interesting one because when you feel betrayed um, by your employer, your coach, potentially, your, you know, your fellow star player, you've got two ways to go. Um, one is you, you, you turn up the work and you prove them wrong. Um, and, or, and it's really about proving things to yourself more so to others. But you just, you just, you take it, and you just, you know, um, that can be a driver. But you also might feel that, um, given what's happened, that you know the opportunity to be my best, it's not going to happen for me here. Either way, at some point, whether he stays or goes, it's going to come back to Ben actually performing. Mm. If he goes to another team, he's still going to have the same questions. Um, he stays, same questions are there, and they're questions that he needs to face mm. and stare down because um, his talent's undeniable. Mm. Um, but wherever he goes, he's going to have to answer that for himself, uh, and it's going to be fascinating. So I hope he stares it down. Um, I actually, it doesn't bother me whether he stays or goes, uh, but wherever he goes, I hope he stares down the challenge and, and quietens a lot of the people that are making a lot of noise about it. People who don't really know what it's like to put yourself in the cauldron. It's really easy to 
to talk about that athlete, that's a harder, a much harder road to deliver upon. So I don't criticise athletes like that. It's tough just to front up. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. And like, what is he? He's, he's 25, right? He's on, yep. on the world stage, not maybe, as I said, you know, someone's perspective, not delivered to expectations or his expectations he probably wishes he could have at over again, but he's a 25-year-old kid finding his way to be the best version of himself and, you know, there's just so much scrutiny and people piling on. But but thank you for that. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, no, the the, the question I was going to ask was kind of covered with the, the, the coaching and the playing days, but I want to go back to some things that you've kind of talked about when you're talking about getting to the point of getting to do the – the, you know, the, the, the playing career, the coaching career from that decision at 11 and, you know, everything you've just told us that you went through and everything that goes into the journey, you've talked a lot about journey and process, right? Emotions, routine. What does that look like? And again, Ben Simmons probably missing some of these elements, but you don't, uh, you know, the risk of over complimenting you, you don't become a coach and, uh, you know, have the successful career that you had as a coach, um, definitely in the WAFL, no coach has ever had a higher winning percentage ever. So congrats on that. But what, what does that look like, you know, from maybe 11 and as it evolves, because you, you must still have a lot of your similar daily routines that you have now, it, it probably evolves over time, but there's that saying, you know, always stay ready so that you don't have to get ready. How, how do you stay ready, right? So for anybody listening right now that wants to achieve at a high level, how do you manage to stay ready and just to have the mind ready, body ready, you know, everything kind of ready to go? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, there's a few, you know, when I do try and step out myself, uh, outside myself and, you know, think about why, why do you react to things a certain way and why have I been conditioned or some of it's innate some of it's learnt, but why? Why do I do those things? I'm always sort of thinking about about that. Um, I, there's a few things. One is um, I've always felt comfortable being uncomfortable. So there is, um, you know, going into uh, working in a juvenile detention centre for four years. Right, a lot of people might find that uncomfortable or you know scary, frightening, whatever it might be. Um, and whilst I was acknowledging parts of that, to me, it's like, you know, this is a, an awesome opportunity to, to grow and learn and share with, you know, 13, 13 to 18-year-old boys who are in prison, ultimately. Um, so the challenge of being uncomfortable in that environment, to me, far outweighed anything else. Coaching at St Kilda, I knew before going and accepting that role that uh, the club was in a very challenging time um so i was fully cognizant in fact i had it explained to me <laughs> you know you're being handed a poison chalice but that actually was appealing um a lot of people might not understand that so i've had people say to me you know maybe you just should have waited for the right the one that was really ready and yeah i get that but that was just my opportunity and my own philosophy at that point is um if you really want to learn or you really want to achieve something or you really want to grow, this is the space that you need to lean into. Um, don't, don't walk with this here for a reason. Um, so go for it. Um, so I've, I've always, and I, I put some of that down to, um, had, I had a really stable uh, working class upbringing 
Um, so I think I had a good platform where my parents had supported me. Just I had good self-belief. Um, I didn't feel like I had all the answers, but I had enough confidence to know that if I was going to fall or stumble, um, I was in an environment where I was going to be okay and I was going to be able to get up. So it encourages you to take on challenge. Um, so they're probably the, you know, the main things. Um, I, I guess the other things that I welcome, and I think a lot of this is conditioned. I remember when I was looking at leadership roles sort of really early in my 20s, I had a great mentor in Perth, Western Australia, who was involved in property, not involved in sport, um, but a really uh, quite a deep thinker. And I, I asked him the question, what do you think? Because I was thinking about coaching roles, CEO roles, leadership roles. And I actually asked him the very straightforward question. I said, what do you think it takes to make a great leader? Um, and he said, uh, he said about seven days of the year. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, oh, there'll be about seven days a year. He said, it might be four, might be ten. And he said, there'll be the days where challenge comes, you know, in whatever shape or form. And he said, how you, how you view those days will define your leadership. And he said, so you see them as the gift. Uh, and the opportunity. So pandemic hits for me. Um, it's like, here it is. Here's, here's one of the, you know, I'm a, I'm, in a, I'm a non-for-profit leader, a charity that relies on, you know, donations, philanthropic, et cetera, et cetera. So you go, okay, this is game on. Um, so in those moments, I, there are a few things that I always do. Um, uh, and the, the first, you know, the, the first is um, get get the information really quick. Um, panic takes you nowhere. Um, worry takes you nowhere. Um, so it's just really quickly get the information. Um, and then from there, I always know that, and this helps when you've been on the planet a little bit longer, uh, there is perspective. So... There's, there's been challenge. I'm old enough now. I'm 52. I've been through, you know, different times. And I know that you'll always, you'll find your way through. Um, so that's the easiest thing to do when you're 52 compared to sometimes when you're 12. Um, so knowing, having perspective on here's a challenge, there'll be a way past this. Um, and then the last thing is you, you, you find the gift, find the gold, hunt for the good. I've had it described to me as. So when crisis, people talk about crisis management, how you reframe, it's called cognitive reframing, how you reframe that challenge straight away leads you to a place of really clear, concise leadership where you're best placed to serve yourself, your business, your team, etc. So crisis is a good thing. That's how I view it. Awesome, Scott. You, were, you mentioned uh, Banksy Hill uh, detention there, um, so, you know, where you were doing some mentoring, so you did that for three years. Um, you talked about in a different part of what you were just saying then around support and encourage, encouragement, so part of the environment that you've grown up in. Can you talk to us a little bit more about, you know, Banksy Hill if you can, um, you know, what you took away, what, what shaped you, just, you know, I, I appreciate you would have seen some really challenging you know, stories and heart heartbreaking kind of stuff. Yeah, and really inspiring stuff as well. You know, everything, a really big spectrum within. I've been incredibly fortunate, Luke. I've had, I reckon I've had three really amazing, unique jobs or, or chapters um, 
you know, four years at Bankshire Hill, 13 to 18 year old, mainly boys, uh, young men, uh, 60% Indigenous boys. That was an incredible experience, which I'll, I'll touch on. Obviously, playing and coaching, you know, through the whole professional ex- sport experience, you know, it's 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 surreal. Um, it's heightened. It's different. Um, but it was incredible. Uh, and then being a leader of a foundation now, we're working with thousands of kids in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. Um, Bankshire Hill. Uh, so I'd been visiting Bankshire Hill whilst I was playing, um, just you know, doing almost like your player your player visits. So as a player, you'd go in, you talk to a few kids. Um, they generally they love their sport. Um, so it was just you're going in and doing a little bit of mentoring. Um, at 28, my body basically, I thought I was going to play till about 32 and 28. Uh, physically, you know, I was done. That was it. Um, so at that point, just really fortunately, a full-time role came up. Oh, I've got a teaching degree. Um, full-time role came up at Bankshire Hill and they said, look, you know, we've got a, a role here, a full-time role. Would you be interested? Um, and at, right at that point, I actually thought selfishly um, I've had literally – 18 years, probably more, 20 years of focusing on myself, um, preparation, get ready, overcome injury, come back, perform, etc. I just want to go somewhere where the focus is not on me. Um, and that felt like a really good place just to heal, um, you know, for any sports person that no matter when your career finishes, 17, 28, 35, there's a bereavement, mm. you know, or a transition process. So right then for me, I was like, great. I'm going in here. I feel like I've, I've got some experiences to share. Um, but I got equally as much, you know, maybe even more out of that relationship with those kids. Um, you know, I, I started to not feel sorry for myself, I guess, at finishing a couple of years earlier than I thought because I, it just gave a great perspective on things that were important. The thing that the main thing that I take away from Bankshire Hill is that human beings are good. They want to be good. So there's young people in their full gamut, the full range of really challenging um, reasons, you know, so the worst things that you can imagine uh, right through to just making one simple mistake. And um, But 98% of those kids for me were products of environment or circumstance, um, 2%. Have some challenging wiring is probably my medical prognosis, but ninety eight percent of them they want to be good human beings. So um, I came out of there feeling, um, yeah, people are inherently good. If you give them a chance, they'll be good, and they'll and they'll perform. They'll be at their best if we give them a great environment, and that's something that does flow through into the work mm-hmm. and the philosophies behind the foundation for me. Just give people a chance to be their best, and generally they'll go there because. People want to do that. They want to be their best. Yeah, I, I often say that, you know, what do humans want? We want to be heard, we want to contribute, and we want to be part of a community. And, you know, a lot of, you know, kids 
don't necessarily get those things. And I think what's taught us over these last 18 months as well is that a lot of people aren't feeling they're getting heard or contributing or being part of the community. And we can start to see what happens when when that happens. And if you're experiencing that at a very, very young age, then it can have a dramatic impact on kind of what happens next for you. And as you said, look, this is an environmental thing. This is not a, I, I woke up one day and I'm doing this because it's inside of me. It's I'm surrounded by. Yeah. Uh, look, interesting, I was reading something two or three months ago that, you know, the number one predictor or precursor to a long and meaningful life, um, it's not whether you've smoked, it's not whether you've consumed alcohol, it's not, it's not necessarily even health and fitness, it's your social interactions. Could you try again? So it's, you know, well, that's, my, that's my, my watch talking to me, sorry. <laughs> um, uh so Siri was obviously feeling like she needed the connection. But, you know, ultimately those that have a, a network or interaction with others, um, that leads them towards a long and meaningful life. So when I think about 13, 14, 15-year-olds in a maximum security juvenile detention centre, for many of them being void of those really important connections, mentors, family, uh, friends, cohort, you know, that's that's challenging. So I never judge I also never would judge any of them because you haven't walked in their shoes. You don't know what's brought them to that point. Um, yeah. You know, I was lucky. I had two stable parents and I got connected to sport was a passion that kept me, certainly kept me on the tracks because I very easily could have um, uh, been in that juvenile detention centre if I didn't have sport. Yeah, and, and and we do see it, right? Like we do see sports stars that head into different directions than, than what you would expect. They just kind of, you know, which is maybe a conversation for another time. But, you know, I, I want to shift a little bit here and, you know, we've touched on it. So for those that don't know, the Life Changer Foundation identifies and develops inspiring mentors within communities and delivers holistic self-development workshops for teens, creating and sustaining safe and resilient communities. And you're talking then about, the absolute importance of that you know, life changer helps to address the challenges that Australian youth face today. Too many young Australians are living diminished lives, and that's where life changer comes in. So, like, what was that that spark that that ignition of we're doing this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's a, there's a couple of things to that. Um, my co-founder and I, Trevor Hendy. Um, have always been very cognizant of this is not a uh, it's not a founder's story, you know. And one of the things I'm really proud of is people see their own experiences, whether it's theirs theirs as a teenager um, or their own kids. They need to be able to see their experiences through the foundation, um, and not necessarily referencing that off Trevor's experience. You know, Trevor's had an amazing journey, but you know it's incredible Ironman Australian Hall of Fame and from 13 to 17, an incredible, powerful, emotional journey around bullying. Um, but the foundation is bigger than that. Mm. Um, and I've had my own ups and downs, but it's much bigger than my experiences. So, look, the catalyst moment, there, was, there were many that sort of, and it's really easy to actually, I could pull one out and it'd be a great story. You know, I could, I could easily find... You know, from a media point of view, I could write the article for them if they want, but it was a multitude of different things. You know, my, my family, my mum, 
who I admire and love greatly, she spent her whole life um, either as a nurse or working with uh, trauma, you know, teenage trauma victims from car crash, you know, wheelchair-bound kids. So, and that's been, a, you know, I'll say 30 years, it's probably been 40 or 50. So that was always part of um, our life. Um, so there was a lot of that. My, my Croatian grandmother who lived two doors away from me, you know, that's the house where someone needed a meal. They were at the table, you know, doesn't matter where they were coming from. Um, so you, you, I think through osmosis, mm. you know, some of that rubs off. But my short answer to it is always, well, why not? You know, people always ask me why. Um, and I say, well, you know, why not? Um, you know, I, I, I love kids. I love the potential of young people. Um, and I, I passionately want to see every person have the opportunity to um, actualise that talent. I think one of the biggest crimes is when we see people who, for whatever reason, um, don't actually bring their, their full self to the planet. You know, it's... Um, it's a wasted resource and that frustrates me. Um, I'm motivated by KPI. I'm, a, I'm an ex-coach. I'm motivated by KPIs, you know, and if we, look, if we run the KPIs across this generation of young people, we're, we're failing and it's not good enough to sit back and accept that. And we can all lean into that in different ways. As a parent, um, our opportunity, uh, as in Trevor and myself, was, you know, here's an opportunity to lean into this you know, with a, a foundation and a preemptive program that we think um, is really important. So when that was formulating, I almost felt like it would have been the wrong thing to do just to keep it as an idea. And, in fact, the, the catalyst conversation came with a mate sitting in a pub uh, in Melbourne, winter's night, no one else in the pub, and we spoke about this for three hours, and at the end of it, uh, I, I remember saying to him, mate, if this has only been a great conversation and we feel better about it because we've discussed the challenges around kids, I said, we're both full of shit. And I said, I'm starting tomorrow. Uh, and I did. I called Trevor Hendy the next morning uh, and uh, briefly explained what was just a high-level, very abstract concept at that point. And he said, I'm in. And I said, okay, well, let's work out what we're going to do. And that was it. I love it. I love it. I just, I, you know, I hope, you know, if someone's sitting out there listening now and they've got this, just this burning desire to to do whatever it is, right? You know, some people are like, well, it's not grand enough. Like, just get off the couch, put your phone down, get off whatever it is that you're doing and just get your ass in gear and go do it. Like, thank you, Scott. That was that was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, you just got to move, you know. I'd, Absolutely. I think any idea... If it's sitting inside you, you know, and you really feel if it's big enough, it'll compel you to move, mm. right? And when you move, you find the right forces. If you're moving with the right values, the right intent and a good idea, the right forces will appear. So just move. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, yeah, well, I mean, otherwise, it's, it's funny. I'm just curious, very randomly, Scott, have you read a book called The Slight Edge? No, I haven't. I haven't. By Jeff Olson, because like it, it, it's almost like you're talking about his playbook, 
right? About how you just got to do, you know, the right things consistently and just lean into them and give them time, right? Just allow the, allow the effect of time to kick in. And, and it's uh, it really awesome to hear you talk about the, the, all the transitions and such. And with this, how I, I'm curious about the curriculum. Uh, I just, I'd love you to dive into, you know, how did that come about? Because I, I watched all the videos, I, I went through it all. And I, I literally just, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the past. You've got to use it as a tool, but you've got to continue to move forward. Right. I didn't get this as a kid. And I look at this and I was literally just like salivating when I first kind of got onto this website and, and just thinking just for a moment, about well, man, there are no take backs, but I was thinking, what if I got exposed to this as a kid? Right. And how you know, many years of, you know, because my story, Luke knows it well, but, you know, recovered alcoholic, lost a decade to, you know, substance and, uh, you know, functioned for a while until I couldn't function anymore. And, and uh, you know, I just think, man, had I been exposed to a program like this, things might have been a little different. But how do you come up with it? Does it ever evolve? Does it ever tweak? Do you ever, you know, like play with the structure? Because how you roll it out, you know, linearly uh, to, to, to get through the six, uh, you know, workshops is brilliant, but how did you get there and does it ever change? Yeah. Uh, that's really where the first year, one, once I'd had that conversation with, with Trevor, as I was sitting in a car park, not, I hadn't got out of my car. I was meant to play golf that day. I never opened the door. Right. Um, but the next six to 12 months was literally sitting with a whiteboard, um, thinking, reading. And the question always for me was, um, Someone actually said to me within that first six to 12 months as I was talking about this concept around mentors and kids, and the question was really, it was one that I'd never answered, and it said, well, how did you get through? Um, and I'd never thought about it. I'd never articulated it um, because I said, you know, you grew up in a, it was a pretty tough suburb, and, and a lot of your mates, some haven't actually made their way through. Sadly, some are no longer with us, you know, and that really easily could have been me. So I actually sat back and thought, that is a great question. Um, and that I had to sort of really ruminate on that for a while. And there's a book that I keep by the side of my bed, um, particularly since I've been a parent, by Dr. Anna Rubenstein called The Making of Men. Um, Anna is an uh, incredible, incredible human, does some incredible work around rites of passage for young people. Um, and what's important. Um, and as I was stumbling around thinking of, well, what is the, what's the secret source? What do kids need? Um, you know, I actually opened that book again and uh, there's, a, there's two or three pages in there that talks about positive self-identity. Uh, and like a lot of great things, it was simple. It wasn't complicated. Um, and that really sparked, you know, the, the pillars that we work we, we, we work through. I was like you as well, Sean, where I got lucky that I sport found me ultimately. Um, but that was, that was just luck. A little bit of, little bit of talent, hard work, passion, but just luck. Right. Um, but no one ever, and this is what I think every kid should be getting at an earlier age. It's, and we say this to young, young people now, it's, you know, if I could show you the pathway to the best version of yourself, you're interested and who's not, you know? Um, so to me, you go into a lot of the curriculum doesn't fully service those needs. And it's a big, that's not being critical of the education system either. You know, the education system is not the solution for everything. It's everything that surrounds our kids 
you know, we should be looking through those pillars. But a young person should know that, hey, if I tip something into these buckets pretty consistently, that's going to move me. That's going to move me forward to a better version of myself or something that I want to aspire to. So I think preemptively we've got to get to kids early. You know, don't, don't wait till we get to 35 or 40 and we're having a midlife crisis because we lost a job, because we've been we've had no focus on our family or no focus on our health. Um, let's have those conversations early and set people up for success early and also set them up so when life challenges do do come. And that's an awesome part about life is the curveballs are brilliant. They're, they're sad and they're tragic, but that's how you build character and that's a colourful life. I'd hate to have a life that was just a perfect linear progression because I wouldn't have learned much about myself. So give them, the, give them the pathway early and we think our pathway is quite a holistic way to look at life um, and that can carry them through but it can also support them when those moments come and that's really the, the guts of what the foundation is about. Life Changer talks about youth suicide being the biggest killer of kids in Australia and you've just mentioned around the pathway to the best version. There's so many things that are being thrown at us as humans and kids, whether or not it's, you know, the pandemic, what's happening with the environment, but, you know, let's not go onto that part. But what are we missing at the moment for this to be the case that the biggest killer of the kids is youth suicide? Like, what are we missing? Yeah, it's a very big question that is also, it's multifaceted. You know, so many, so many things contribute. So, you know, you can almost glibly come out with a two-line answer, but it's, you know, it's a complex problem that has a, uh, often has a, a multifaceted complex solution. But there are a number of things that I think, um, you know, we could do better or we could be more aware of as parents, coaches, adults, people. Um, I think we need to, earlier in life, surround kids with better conversations and better environments you know kids learn early like in a sporting sense I remember coaching eight-year-olds and I was to me and I'd have I'd have other coaches say we're not going to do any strategy work with these kids until they get to 11 or 12 or 15 or and I'm like why I said they'll rise and fall to the level of your conversation so just find a different way to talk to them about strategy so at eight years of age seven years of age Kids are ready to learn if you pitch the learning, you meet them where they're at, right? Mm. Um, so earlier conversations is important and the right conversations. Um, junior sporting clubs are an example for me. Love, you know, junior sporting clubs should refocus on not, not so much elite-level pathways early, and that's been my life, elite-level pathway sport. But I think junior sporting clubs have got an incredible opportunity to be helping young people develop in a much bigger way than just the skills they're learning, you know, whether it's basketball, footy, netball. That's, they're just the skills, but help develop them as people. So equip coaches at junior levels to, before they even touch, you know, the footy or the basketball, sit them on the court and go, okay, guys, it's a check-in. How are we feeling today? You know, rate yourself out of one in a hundred. Um, most important thing is that, you know, we want to know how you're going. Just little little triggers that shows those kids that, you know, this is bigger than just sport. Um, schools need to create more space for self-awareness and self-development, not just 
um, comprehending content and being measured. So the school process should have more space within it for people to self-actualise or explore who they are uh, and feel confident and good about that and build self-belief and self-awareness. I think that's really important. It's too heavily weighted at being a measurement tool to decide whether we continue, we go to secondary education, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it could be bigger than that. Um, parents need to spend more time in meaningful conversations, Luke. You know, it's the last one I'll give you, but um, Patrick, Professor Patrick McGorry, four or five months ago from the Sydney Brain and Mind Institute, came up with a statistic after much analysis that Australian parents are only spending 18 seconds per day in meaningful conversation with their kids, you know, connect, connect with them and talk to them. Um, you know, we can all, we all do the that's, order. That's, I, that's I, not okay. Sorry, it's, 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 it's wild, but it's, it's I, I'm really happy to have this conversation right now and absolutely did not mean to cut you off there, but I just, you know, Same. I think and it's, that's, that's our job, really. Like you signed up for this job for whatever reason, if you have this job, that's the responsibility, right? Like we're all connected and, and, you know, the attention that you give these humans determines how they continue to live on. And if this is going to be a better world, we can't shy away from that responsibility. No. And I think it's a, it's, it's a really emotional stat. The first time I heard it, I was, it, it forced me to audit straight away with my own voice. I was like, man, is that me? Um, am I making sure that I'm, you know, I'm giving that time. The most important thing you can give to anyone is time. Um, and so much of the solutions when we talk about, you know, anxiety, uh, you know, feeling isolated or anxious or low self-worth, um, so many of those things are alleviated when we're connected with our tribe. Um, and most important people in our tribe are our immediate family. So keeping the space open for those really important conversations to me is pivotal. Last one, Luke. You know, and again, I told you it was multifactorial. So you asked me the question. Um, let kids let kids fail. Give them more space to play, um, more space to explore. Give them more challenges. Challenge them. Set really high expectations, um, and let them fail. Right? Don't pick them up. Be there. Um, but if you want young people to develop dependence, then pick them up every time. If you want them to be you know, independent and strong and resilient, then back away from micro-parenting. Um, let them fail and, and understand that failure is okay. It might feel hard at times, um, but that's actually, when you let them fail at a young age, that's going to be the skill that they take when they're 30, 40, 50, and that's going to be the thing that they call on. So give them space to fail. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You you mentioned so many amazing kind of qualities important qualities and you're surrounded by many people within the organization that support so i'm thinking you know trevor trevor hendy mark george eric phillips all incredible in their own rights adventurers explorers athletes elite athletes what is the what is the one thing that maybe binds them or that one kind of trait that you you know that really pushes them forward in their kind of day-to-day to to be successful in their own rights at the things they do yeah, lots of incredible human beings. I think I think most human beings have got the potential to be incredible. Um, and some of those ones you've mentioned, they've done some incredible things. Um, 
I, I think there's three things that they all all share, um, and, and I'm not sure of the order of this, but um, I think at some point they all brave enough to um, create a picture, you know, create a picture of something. Now, whether it's a business, whether it's an idea, whether it's a um, a quest or a challenge, but they actually see they're pre- they're prepared to actually visualize into the future and create a picture of something they want to achieve. Um, you know, for Mark, it's, it was climbing Everest and completing the seven summits. So he, he had to picture that, right? So you've got to be creative and want to dream a bit. Um, all of those people are creative, and I mean creative that they'll think about, you know what, what do I really want to do that's important? Um, each of them have an inner belief. You know, they have a, a voice that actually says there's a lot of, lot of people, a lot of reasons why this is not going to work or people are going to tell me that I'm crazy or this is a stupid idea or you know, their, their inner voice overrides it. Um, and the last thing, every one of those people don't care if they, they, don't care if they fail um, or they're prepared to fail. Not caring is probably the wrong way to frame it, but they're courageous enough to put themselves out there knowing that, you know, making a mistake or failing is a possibility, but that's okay too. Um, all of those people I admire greatly and, um, yeah, I think those three things are common denominators for people who, you know, they stretch and achieve whatever achievement is for them. It doesn't always have to be Everest. Um, it can be small things, but you've got to have those three ingredients, I think. Yeah, that, that the more people I talk to that are just caught up on that failure piece i won't do this because i'm just shit scared of failing thinking that it's just this permanent state that they're always going to sit in it's just not you know and it just stops so many amazing things happening but i'm i'm really mindful of time so sean um you know i'm not sure if you've got one more question or we can start to start to land this plan and close this one out no, I got many more questions, Luke, but they just opened too many cans of worms. So uh, let's, uh, you know, let's give Scott his day back and, and uh, get towards the end here. Awesome. Well, maybe you can ask that that one one question we always have, which is? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the show is called, you know, Conversation for a Better Tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of topics today, Scott, and what you do is, you know, really affecting for a better tomorrow. So, what what's the most important conversation in in your mind right now that that needs to be happening to you know ensure a better tomorrow or give us the best chance at a better tomorrow? That's an awesome question. Um, I think to me it's more it's more conversations, right? It's um, but more conversations that have less judgment, uh, less division, less labels, less categories. Um, no, I, I do get dismayed, you know, how we, there's so much of the rhetoric in our conversations um, are narrow and opinion-based on my group or my area. So for me, it's just, it's more conversations that remind us that we are in this together. Um, and it's important within those conversations that, you know, everyone thrives, not just some so inclusive more inclusive conversations with less judgment about how we're different because we're actually we're more alike than we actually tend to reflect on so um i feel our world's getting pulled apart into a lot more different categories so conversations that bring us together they're the ones we need to have beautiful fantastic Uh, i I couldn't agree more and that was a brilliant way to close it out 
Thank you, Scott, immensely. Beautiful. Scott, how do you feel coming to coming to a close? Thank you. Oh, awesome, guys. I, I, hope, you know, I hope it was interesting. We got something out of it, but I enjoyed the conversation. Um, you know, I think, yeah, hopefully some of the stuff people find interesting. But uh, thanks, for, thank, thanks for thinking I'm worthy to come on and have a chat, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Loved every moment of it. There is a stack in there that people can walk away. But uh, just want to say thank you, listeners. If you liked it, uh, I encourage you to like, share, love, tell all your friends, the neighbours, the guys next door to the neighbours. But uh, Scott, brilliant to see you. Sean, brilliant to see you. As always, be safe, be present, be you. Sean? Be fulfilled. All right, awesome. Bye for now.